I am the youngest of four, um, grew up in middle-class America in the late 60s. My father was a federal agent. My mom was a stay-at-home mom. Um, when I was around five years old, my mother was really wanting to go back to work as a registered nurse. And two years later, my parents divorced. Our life definitely changed. We were the only divorced family, and both of my parents provided strength to give all of us the confidence that we could achieve whatever we set our mind to. And to treat people with kindness. And both of my parents exemplified that, maybe not to one another, <laughs> but to the children and to the outside world. And I was always Rebecca's little sister or John or Tim's little sister, who were all very talented and smart. When I was in fifth grade, my mom moved to Missouri to a new suburb called Blue Springs, Missouri, and was out there for just probably six months. But it definitely allowed me the opportunity to be around people that I didn't know. I had a teacher that really took an interest in me. This teacher saw something in me and really pulled it out. I never asked my parents for money. I put myself through college. And so when I graduated, I became an elementary education teacher. Did that for a couple of years. One of my closest friends, who's brilliant, we graduated college together and she was studying to take the LSAT. And she told me about the LSAT. I didn't know what it was. And people all my life had said I should be a lawyer. I'm not sure that was a compliment. My sister was a lawyer, but she was brilliant. And so on a whim, I took the LSAT. And so when I got my score, I didn't know what it meant. <laughs> so I called my sister. And then she called a friend of hers, and my next call was from a dean from the University of Kentucky Law School. And what it meant was that I would get a scholarship to go to law school at the University of Kentucky, which is what I did. I loved law school. I was truly a student, and I loved learning, even though a part of me felt very inept. I absolutely loved watching the light bulbs go off all the time. How does someone ace the LSAT and seemingly lack self-confidence? Listen to this entrepreneur describe her father. Quick-witted, never took himself serious. She might as well be talking about herself. Was so smart, but a lot of people didn't know it could hold court and just could talk to anyone. My name is Jane Allen. I am a wife, a mother of four. I also founded Council on Call. And between the years of 2019 and early 2023, she was the CEO at the Nashville Entrepreneur Center. From the Chase Studio here at the Nashville Entrepreneur Center, this is Circle Back, 
where we trace the life cycle of the startup from bright idea to big payoff. I'm your host, Clark Buckner. When I graduated law school, I had a job offer to go with a firm down in Tampa, Florida. And I never dreamt I would go and work in Western Kentucky. One of the professors that had helped me with my law review article introduced me to a man who was a federal judge in Western Kentucky. Once I met the judge, his name was Edward Johnstone. I thought I would follow him wherever he would lead if I was lucky enough to have an opportunity to work with him. And I was. I got the clerkship. And so Judge Johnson sat in Paducah, Kentucky, and he was an old circuit rider. So we actually went to the courthouse in Louisville, Owensboro, Bowling Green, and Paducah. And all of his clerks he had live in Paducah, Kentucky, because he felt he wanted to bring talent to Western Kentucky, and that was part of his mission. Judge Johnstone was truly the epitome of a scholar and of a gentleman and a small-town good human being. And I just learned so much from him, not only professionally, but personally. I went in thinking I would convince him to let me live in Louisville, and I quickly fell in love with Western Kentucky, and in particular, Paducah, Kentucky. It was a fabulous small town, really good people, and I truly enjoyed living there. Mutual friends introduced me to Greg Allen, who was living in Paducah between graduating with his MBA and starting a position in Nashville. Greg, when he was in graduate school, had picked Nashville as a city that he thought would have explosive growth in the 90s. And so he had chosen to start his career in Nashville. My career was in Western Kentucky at the time. We were dating, he moved to Nashville, I stayed in Kentucky, and we dated long distance for a year and a half. And then got engaged, and it was, well, where are we going to live? And I remember Greg inviting me down to hear someone that was running for mayor named Phil Bredesen. And he actually said, this man is going to transform this city. And he just really believed Nashville was the place that we would want to start our life together as well as our professional careers. And so I made a very good decision, which was to follow him. And so after we married, I moved to Nashville and joined him here. The move meant leaving a promising legal career in Paducah. A partner in a law firm wanted to open a satellite office in Paducah, Kentucky. And they approached me about opening that office. Getting the real estate, making sure you're looking at the overhead, learning about if you're going to bring someone on, how many hours you needed to be able to make sure they could bill, how they could pay for themselves. And I had amazing mentoring from partners that were in other offices that really did help on that trajectory of being able to open and run an office. It was a fabulous opportunity. It taught me about the 
economics of a law firm at a very young age. And from the sound of it, these Nashville newlyweds instinctively knew the value of networking. My judge had loaned me out to other judges. I went to the judges and said, if I were going to move to Nashville, is there anyone I would want to work with? And more than one person gave me the name of a guy named Jim Doramus. Jim had had a trial in front of my judge and had said he had learned more from my judge in that two to three week trial. And if I had worked with my judge for as long as I had, he wanted me on his team. And so I told Greg that. Well, Greg had met Jim's business partner or law partner named Byron Trogger. And so Greg gave my resume to Byron Trogger. Next thing I know, I get called and I'm down meeting with them. I was fortunate enough to go to work with Doremus and Trogger. And again, it all worked. Yes, it all worked. It sounds pretty perfect. But you may have a sense for where this is going. When I was practicing law, I got pregnant with our first child and started questioning how could I make it all work. Jane knew the value of a two-parent home. Because I knew that law was a 24-7 position, or I thought it was, and thought, but at the same time, I want to make sure that my family is my priority. And I remembered back when I had my first trial in federal court, um, there was a, a friend of mine. She was a paralegal and really bright. And she had had her child, and I asked her to do some um, deposition summaries. And so she came in one day complaining her husband was a CPA, her child sleeps all the time. I did a really quick conflict check, had her sign a form, and I handed her depositions, and she brought me back a disc. And she had all the deposition summaries on it. And so she started working for me on a contract basis. And I had told my managing partner we had gotten the client's permission and I knew what I was paying her. I knew what we were billing out. Everything was transparent. And that was the idea that came to me as I'm pregnant with our first child, wondering how am I really going to be able to practice law and have a child. Maybe I could do what this woman had done for me. And so that was the original idea that eventually became counsel on call. One thing I knew, and, and actually I think one of the partners had said, is don't make any decisions while you're expecting. Wait and let the baby come, and then let's talk. I just didn't think I could be the lawyer that they hired. I mean, I love the practice of law. I love working all the time. But I was really conflicted with who was my priority. And so one of them said, you come up with creative solutions for our clients, why don't you figure it out? We've come to recognize the term job share, but when Jane was brainstorming her own work-life balance, not many others were thinking of it. 
I ended up writing a job description, basically, that allowed me to do research, allowed me to do jury prep, allowed me to do everything that they would need as the front person or the person the client was calling all the time. And so I would say, I'll, I'll back you all up and make you look really good. If it can work, I would love to be paid X, knowing they could bill me out at X plus Y. And so the firm could make money, the client might be able to save a little money, and I can make money. And so that was what I approached them with. And they said, let's do it. And then one of the partners said, my only condition is you do it Monday through Wednesday, which I would have never dreamt to ask that. And he said, otherwise, you're going to feel like a wishbone. And I'd like you to be in Monday through Wednesday, and then Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, you're home with your child. And so that is exactly what we started doing. And um, it was fabulous, so much so that I had two more children under that arrangement. So as this was happening, the partners did come and say, we have some hours that aren't going to be billable hours, but we would love for you to go and, and work with us on getting clients. And I'm like, as long as I can be transparent, I would love to. And as that's happening, lawyers started calling me and saying, you have one child, you have two children, you have three children, and you're happy and you're practicing law. How is this working? And I'm like, oh, it's really easy. You just go to your partners and you just, you know, it's a win, win, win for everybody. And then Greg, my husband, actually said, I don't think you understand what it is you're doing and the ability you have. And so maybe you should actually start a company to be able to provide this opportunity for other law firms and lawyers. Just like that LSAT score years before, Jane didn't realize what she had actually done. I scoffed being a lawyer and thinking I knew all the answers, but it was enough to get me thinking about it. And so then, as I would say, I looked for every reason not to by doing research on why this couldn't work. I found that there were companies out there, and it's what I would call traditional staffing companies. And nothing against that model. It's just, I don't know that I, as a lawyer, would have wanted to go into a staffing company and work as a lawyer. And then no different than as a lawyer looking to hire to get my work done, I'm not sure I would have gone to a staffing company, which is usually who we would call if we needed administrative assistance. And so I thought quality is going to be key in this on both sides of the equation. And I couldn't find anyone out there doing it focused on the lawyer hiring and the lawyer practicing. She wrote a business plan and went back to Western Kentucky to look more for advice than validation. And I met with a lawyer that I had actually had worked with to write the Kentucky Trial Lawyer's Handbook, Tom Osborne. And I met with him and told him about this idea. And his answer was, you are going to transform the legal profession unless you get bored and you quit. Because Jane, you get bored really fast. And he was the first person to ever call me out. And he said, so if you're gonna start this, you're gonna have to see it all the way through. That's the big question for you. And then I went to my judge, and my judge thought it was brilliant, and he actually named the company Counsel on Call. 
And so it was with that information that decided to come back and actually go in and talk to Byron (laughs) and tell him that I was going to go and start this company and leave the law firm. When I went in to talk to Byron, it was difficult. These men have been amazing, mentors, bosses. And I went in to talk to him. The way I phrased it was 100% accurate, which is I've got this seed inside of me and I keep pouring dirt over it, but it keeps sprouting through. And if I don't try this, I'm going to be 50 years old and I'm going to regret it. And so I've got to give it a shot. And Byron's advice was, make sure you've thought through the amount of money it's going to take because it's going to take a while for this thing to take off. What about your kids? And if it doesn't work, you can always come back. Everyone assumed I would work from home, but I knew that wouldn't work. I had three kids, three and under, and I knew that wasn't an option. And so actually rented space and showed up. And so there was a book, and I had all the lawyers in Nashville, and I just started cold calling them, asking if they would meet with me. I had a question, should I join the city club? Because should I have a place to take lawyers to lunch? And I remember Jim said, no lawyer's going to give you the lunch. Lawyers will give you 15 to 30 minutes if they can give you advice. And so the reality is I needed their advice. But I just started cold calling, asking if I could come and talk to them about this business I was starting to see if I could get their advice. And virtually every lawyer said yes. And inevitably, one would say, oh my gosh, I know somebody who would be great to work with your company. Or somebody would say, you know, who would ever work in a contract capacity? And then I would say, well, you know what? I have for the last three years. And it was like, wait, you're a good lawyer. And I'm like, oh, there are better lawyers than me. And if you're thinking this was an idea just for women, think again. The irony was I started a company for what I thought were women because the problem I was trying to solve is women leaving the profession. At the same time, the first person I placed was a man. (laughs) And I started it for a mid-sized firm, and I placed a man with a solo practitioner. So it was a really good lesson in that what you think is the problem, even somebody immersed in the industry, it might be a lot broader, and it might not be a problem, but an opportunity, because there are more people that might be having the need than you even realized. We had enough money that we could pay our bills. I'm giving up the income I had at the firm, but I also had the luxury of my husband having a job. And so we couldn't necessarily go on vacations. We couldn't necessarily have big fancy cars, but we had enough money to pay our bills. And so we chose, and that was really Greg's advice, to use our money to seed this business And we also had someone that had known Greg from a very early age who had told Greg, if you ever start a business, I want to be an investor in it. And so Greg went to him. And so he was a silent partner in that he gave us money to help us start. And 
that was really it. And then otherwise, it was any money we made, we poured right back into the business. After we started in April, we were on a trip with my family in July. And Greg and I were on the beach, and his comment was, I make a living out of evaluating businesses, and I think you've got a heck of a business. And I, you know, flippantly commented, I'm just trying to help change the profession for the better. If you want to make it a business, have at it. Coming up, the one-woman show adds a cast of characters. All of them had read about Counsel on Call in the business journal or in an article or, and again, it's a lawyer-to-lawyer business or other lawyers had told them about the company. And it's not the children who need babysitting. It's Atlanta. After about a year and a half of trying to make it work, staying at the Amara Suites in downtown Atlanta and Amy, Heather, and I tag-teaming, Amy actually came to me and said, Atlanta's going to make or break based on you. I'm Sam Davidson, CEO of the Nashville Entrepreneur Center. For over 13 years, we've been working hard at the EC to make Nashville the most entrepreneurial city in America. We do that by serving entrepreneurs no matter where they are in their journey, whether they're just starting out, they're looking to scale and accelerate, or they've exited and looking to give back to the community. We have a place for you, whether it's in our award-winning accelerator programs, our co-working space, or in our mentor and advisor network, we have the resources designed to grow this community so you can grow your business. Learn more at ec.co. Within three years, Jane's hand-picked team of Heather Sudbury, Amy Colton, and Andy Branham, Council on Call, was profitable. We had offices in Memphis, Atlanta, and Nashville. You know, we had people running those offices. Unfortunately, Atlanta, it was a difficult market. I thought it would be an easy market because what we were selling, they were already buying. But what I didn't realize is they weren't buying what we were selling. They were buying contract attorneys from staffing companies, and we were creating something different. So after many months of traveling down and living in a hotel, a decision was made, and we went through two leaders in that market. A decision was made to go down there. Because at the end of the day, you know, not to be real personal, but our home's on the line. We personally guarantee all the debt. Um, The market isn't going near what we wanted it to go. And at the same time, one of the employees had said, it's going to make or break based on you and your vision. And so we packed up the kids, packed up the nanny, and moved to Atlanta and basically started over. Me in an executive space (laughs) by myself, trying to figure out whether there was a market for this vision of what it is we were trying to sell. Atlanta was a, it was by far the hardest I've ever worked in my life. It was all-consuming. You're 
coming in, trying to understand a market, didn't really know anybody in the market. I remember I started by just looking for University of Kentucky law graduates and calling them. And thankfully, they would meet. Greg and I would spend our weekends going out and entertaining and also getting to know people in the community. We had to be able to make it in a city without it being just Jane. It has to be a real business. Do you shut down Atlanta or do you make a go out of it? It was 24-7. It really was me back trying to figure it out, cold calling lawyers, getting meetings, getting our kids enrolled in school and preschool, going out every night with anyone that will go out to dinner with me, be it a lawyer in a corporate legal department, a lawyer in a law firm, or a lawyer wanting to work in a contract capacity or in a capacity that they weren't currently working in. It really was all-consuming and In some ways, it was never better. I think it was probably the best thing for the business. It was definitely one of the best things for our family. And while it was hard work, it was fun in a weird way. So we're in Atlanta, have finally got to the point where we've grown and we've hired people in and it's going really well and lo and behold I get pregnant with our fourth child and so it quickly became I wanted to get back to Nashville I needed the community that had helped raise our three boys to help us with this fourth child. I wanted her to be closer to her grandparents. And so then it became about transitioning and getting the right leadership in Atlanta so that we could come back to Nashville. Council on Call eventually opened in many big cities, Chicago, Boston, Dallas, and Minneapolis. But the mid-sized law firm would not remain the company's typical customer. And technology came knocking. I received a call one day from the head of litigation at HCA who said, I know some of your lawyers, they're absolutely brilliant, but I think you've missed your target customer. And my answer was, I don't know how a corporate legal department runs, but if you're willing to give me your time to help me understand, we'll see if there's a way we could work together. And so she did, and I understood they have hiring freezes and they have to cut 20% out of their budget. And she really did help me understand it. And so with that, we started working and placed a lawyer to work with her. And then that just started snowballing. And so if it's a lawyer that I'm paying 50, they would pay me 75 and have the lawyer work with them directly. But then they had to supervise and manage the lawyer that worked with them. When we went into Atlanta, That was really the first time we saw something that was talked about, which was e-discovery. 
emails really weren't a part of litigation. Um, that quickly changed. In litigation, you know, someone can sue an employer and they can ask for all of the information related to their employment with that company. And that used to be paper files. And so you had clients that would have this voluminous amount of data. You need somebody to go through all that information before it's turned over. And so they started using lawyers, especially contract lawyers, to do that. In Atlanta, that was being done. And so when we got down there is when we really saw the amount of data and the volumes of information that lawyers were being paid to review. And so instead of needing two lawyers to go through paper documents or five lawyers, all of a sudden you might need 50 lawyers or 75 lawyers. And so it was just a, a vast amount of data and a vast amount of people. And so when we came in, one of the things that in talking to clients and my lawyers, it became clear you know, the importance of project management and the importance of a process and the importance of not duplicating the work and the importance of being able to do spot check to make sure mistakes aren't being made. And so when we started being asked to get into the discovery, it was in a different way and that we really wanted to put in safeguards, so to speak. And so it was, yes, going through a large amount of, of data, but also doing it with a very organized process and project management and safeguards. Ironically, one of the biggest mistakes Council on Call made was not having its own safeguard. We had a client, it was a public company, and I was friends with their general counsel, and they called and they needed help on something, and we knew there was a new technology and that was really the only way to get what they needed done in the time frame. And so we just rushed full steam ahead without having a signed contract. And unfortunately, a new lawyer came into their corporate legal department and started questioning whether they should pay us. And we had paid these lawyers lots of money. And it was very much of a stressful time because we paid and we weren't getting paid. And we're talking a significant amount of money, hundreds of thousands of dollars. You can sit here and talk about how everything grows and how everything's wonderful. Plenty of mistakes get made, and you learn from those mistakes, and you try to make sure you avoid them. And I'll never forget the general counsel looking at me and saying, don't ever do work without a signed contract. Was I going to be so bold to say we wanted to be global? Not in the early days. But as we continued to grow, I actually did get clients that were overseas. And it became a challenge not to be able to fill them, but to be able to make the operations work in order to be able to fill them. In that I would have the lawyers, but being able to get the taxes or all of the other things that would go along with that. And so there came a time where I really felt that what was right for the company and what was right for my family 
was for us to bring in an investor who had the expertise to be able to take what we had built and be able to allow it to be a global company. As the business was growing, the kids were growing too, and Jane was forced to do some self-reflection. What I felt I was good at was helping people solve their problems. And so I could go and meet with a client, listen to what the problem was, and create solutions. And that's great, except all the solutions created didn't fit into what we had already done. And so as you continue to grow, there are times where it would be, we don't need to create any new products, Jane. We just need to sell what we've already created. That's fine, but that's all about productization and scaling. That isn't what I enjoy. And so I thought there are people out there that can do that far better than me. It's not my sweet spot. And at the same time, it isn't really what I enjoy. So it's time to bring in a new leader. Sometimes the founder ends up becoming the chokehold, and I never wanted to be that person. I did not want to sell to a competitor. I did not feel there was a competitor out there doing it exactly like I wanted it done. It was still more of a control thing. And I also felt that our vision had the potential to be global if we had the right partner. We did the investment banker, I call them song and dance with, gosh, 13, 15 private equity firms out there. At the end of the day, It was narrowed down, and Greg actually had gone to Wharton and called one of his friends from Wharton who had a PE firm in the same location as one of the finalists and really just called as a reference check. And that gentleman said, you know, something to the effect of, I've been watching your all's business. Why didn't you call me? And Greg's like, this isn't about friendship. This is about getting the best deal for the company and finding the right partner for the company. And we've got to close by this date. This gentleman's name was Tom Berger, and Tom said, I can be there tomorrow. He asked questions no one else asked. He asked about my lawyers, why people work with us, what is our attrition rate, how do we keep them? What would our clients say about us? Who's on the leadership team? And he met with people, and we all felt he actually cared about the level of service that we prided ourselves on as a company. This is sounding more like an adoption than a sale. And maybe that's why it worked. I felt like we had truly found a partner, not a purchaser. And that made all the difference in the world, not only to me, but to the rest of the people in the company. Greg and Jane had seats on the board. Jane would remain CEO for a year, and Council on Call got a new identity. We had outgrown the name Council on Call, without question. Sure enough, they had a marketing firm working to change the name. And what they had found is almost every name is trademarked. (laughs) And so they ended up creating Legal and Agile and became Legility, And so that was the name that they chose for the company, which I felt was a perfect description of the company. Eight years later, the market had continued to mature, 
and Legility ended up selling to a competitor, Concilio, and is now in more than 45 countries. And between 2019 and earlier this year in 2023, Jane served as CEO here at the Nashville Entrepreneur Center. And on top of all that, you might say she earned a spot in the Entrepreneur Thesaurus, creating a business and coining a term that had never existed before. The term that came out was something called a legal service provider, an LSP. We were doing something that had not been done before. There was no playbook. I wasn't copying anyone. It was, we're building something for our profession that we felt would make it better, more inclusive. The ABA has a publication, and on that publication, the number one legal service provider in the country, if not the world, was Legility. And it was at that moment where I thought, wow, to be recognized in the industry as the number one legal service provider, that was the moment where I thought this was a really cool ride. You've been listening to Circle Back. To subscribe, visit ec.co slash circle back and follow, rate, and review the show anywhere you get your podcasts. Circle Back is made possible by the generous support of the Beth and Randy Chase family. Also, thank you to our media partner, Nashville Post. Keep your pulse on all things Nashville business and more by subscribing to their newsletter at nashvillepost.com. And a shout out to our friends at Lightning 100 for supporting the show. A big thanks to our team from our creator and executive producer, Greg Allen. Script writing by Demetria Kaladimos. And a big thank you to the rest of the EC staff. I'm Clark Buckner, and we'll see you soon on another episode of Circle Back.